0: Hello and welcome back to another video on this channel. Today we're going to be talking about the book Demons or The Possessed by Dostoyevsky, depending on what translation you have. And instead of doing a why you should read Demons, today I'm going to take it from another perspective. I'll still be talking about the book, But today I'll be saying demons and introduction. I thought that might be a better way to go into the discussion and to start off this series on Dostoevsky instead of saying why you should read, because that kind of gave me a bit of a barrier to say, well, what could I say about it? What could I not say about it? What, What things should I give away? What things should I not? But then if I'm talking about an introduction to demons, I think it would just remove some of those barriers and allow me to have a bit of an easier way to discuss the book with you. And I also know that some of you guys actually are reading Demons right now. So I thought, well, why not give an introduction to Demons to talk about its context, to talk about the key themes in it, and also to talk about the key characters. And by discussing all of these ideas, not only would it tell you whether or not you're interested into the book, it would also help you with understanding and reading the book as well, especially if you're reading it for the first time. And before we get into it, I would just like to remind you that if you enjoy these content or these videos about Dostoevsky or even about the Bible or response videos, then make sure to like and subscribe. I have a lot of interesting content coming up talking about Dostoevsky and stuff like that. So you would not want to miss out on that. Also, I want to thank you guys all so, so much for reaching 300 subscribers. It means a lot to me. It's really a big milestone. I've never gotten to have more than 300 subscribers before. So that means a lot to me. So thank you for that. And let's get right into the video, starting off with the context. Now, I think that when you're reading any book, be it literature or history or anything, you first have to understand the context because that understands or allows you to understand where the writer is coming from. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people like to write books, even even seemingly factual books like your history books or your history textbooks, from their own perspective. And it's by understanding that perspective where you get a deeper understanding of the texts themselves. And as a result, we're going to be starting off this introduction with learning the context. and the, way, the place where we get this contextual knowledge is from reading the letters of Dostoevsky to his friends, especially to Strachov, who is perhaps the, one of the bigger, um, the letters or the correspondence he has with Strachov is arguably the most, the biggest one in relationship to, to um, his pre- preparation for demons. So essentially we all, from, this, from these correspondence know that they mean a lot, this book meant a lot to Dostoevsky. Of course, Dostoevsky was struggling with financial problems and had to write in order to pay for his, to pay for his bills. And of course, he was a gambler as well, so he had to get the money to support his family, support his brother's family, and all of that. But at the same time, we do understand that despite having these financial issues, he didn't want to rush his production of the book. Instead of trying to write as quick as possible, he said, "Well, I don't want to be rushed because." I, I, this this topic is very precious to me, and I want to develop the ideas that I already developed in uh, Raskolnikov, which was the original name for Crime and Punishment. He he wants to develop the ideas in Crime and Punishment and bring them on into Demons and develop them even further, which. Which does suggest that in order to understand demons, a very good complementary read to that would be Crime and Punishment, either read Crime and Punishment first or retrospectively read Crime and Punishment and then use that to understand more about demons. Doing both of them would be very helpful to understanding demons because they they are kind of the same themes and Dostoevsky is trying to build on to Crime and Punishment. Perhaps the... The part two of Dostoevsky's philosophy is part one is found in crime and punishment and part two is found in demons and in part three, of course, is brothers Karamazov. But you can see that there's this kind of theme or these kind of ideas that he's arguing for, which develops through his books and should not be seen as individual works, although they might be different characters, different time sets different periods. they're all presenting the same themes and the same arguments but are developed to more depth as time goes on. That's why we say that Brothers Karamazov is his magnum opus and has all of his previous themes to the greatest level. Well that's also seen in um, that's also seen with demons and uh, crime and punishment. Furthermore, we know that he views uh, demons as a book which deals with the most weighty question of time. It's, it's tackling the biggest problems, the biggest existential problems the biggest theological problems that is where dostoevsky is starting off from and i think that's something very important to keep in mind now the question of course will now be is well what are these problems and and as a result we could talk about but a bit about the key themes of course i'm not going to go too far in depth here but i think that's very important to start off with the key themes and and by understanding the key themes before we look at the characters we can then see retrospectively how those characters play a role in the themes because At at first, I want to talk about the characters first. But then I thought, well, since Dostoevsky, we know that he's clearly trying to bring out a point. What we should see, and of course he's an existentialist, what we should see is that he's dealing with the themes through the characters who have been thrown into the situation. There's this idea of thrownness by Heidegger, which is the idea that these beings, these characters, were thrown into their situations, thrown into their themes, thrown into the the world around them that without understanding the world around them we wouldn't be able to understand the characters and in the same way I said well I think that well let us look at the characters through looking at the themes that's why we look at the themes first to understand the context into which the characters are thrown into so so then first of all I think there are five themes that I want to talk about in this video although there are definitely more in the book and and we'll be discussing those other themes as well in later videos when we dive deeper into demons but essentially these five themes are this freedom and a free will atheism and theism and building upon that nihilism and existentialism the third one is revolution socialism and those ideas fourth one is suicide and the fifth one is redemption and freedom and will is something which i think is very interesting he's this is the idea that with boundless freedom comes boundless tyranny or bounds despotism dependent on what translation you get and it's a very interesting idea because because when we do read dostoyevsky and when we do read these ideas the first thing we get is not necessarily the idea that we all want freedom and freedom is always good. He's saying that freedom is good, but at the same time, there are significant consequences to having too much freedom. And that's something that he wrestles with so much in this book via the revolutionaries, via Kirillov, he's saying that what what happens to man if we give them too much freedom, if we give them utter freedom? Would, we, would society go in a way that we want it to go? And that is, of course, brought through by Shigalov, and I'll be talking about that later when we're talking about the, the characters. But essentially, he's posing the question is, we know and we hear in society so many people wanting freedom. We have we have lots of feminists saying we want freedom for women. We, a woman should have the right and, and basically the freedom to do what they want with their bodies. Uh, we should have some people saying, well, we should have freedom in our city. We should have freedom to do whatever we want. And of course, there's different formulations, but they're fundamentally revolving around the central theme of freedom. What Dostoevsky is seeing here is, number one, is that freedom a good thing? Yes, it's nice to have freedom, but to what extent is that freedom harmful? To what extent can freedom be twisted in a negative way? That's one thing that Dostoevsky is arguing for. And another thing that Dostoevsky is arguing for is, is, well, what is free will? How do we act on that freedom? Yes, assume that we get freedom. How do we act on it? Because what's the point of freedom if you don't act on it? You could be free and, for example, would be the slaves in uh, America. When they were emancipated, they didn't act on their freedom until long after. A lot of them stayed at their plantation and still worked there. And the owners were like, well, you're free now. We're paying you. But then you're still doing everything you've done before. Like, what has changed? And in reality, Dostoevsky is arguing the same thing. He's saying, well, we have freedom, but can we act on it? We have freedom. But how do we embody it and maybe it's that act of embodying freedom which is leading to even more problems and as a result in order to understand our situation what we have to do is to first understand how to act on the freedom before we can develop that theory of free will more and we have to we have to be able to understand our will in order to understand freedom and for and that of course the idea of will is tied on to his idea of atheism and and theism the idea of well Whose will are we meant to follow? Are we meant to follow God's will or man's will? And that's, of course, another question that we're going to be talking about when we're talking about the theme of atheism and theism. And that's one of the biggest problems that Dostoevsky struggles. He looks at society and he's saying, well, maybe the growing nature of atheism and I think in the more specific terms, the growing secularization of society is perhaps at the core of all these problems. The moment we lose God, the moment we lose this transcendent restriction on reality or transcendent rule on reality, the divine law, man then becomes totally free and is only accountable to himself. And when that happens and man actually acts on it, the will, then, then boundless tyranny arises. And a good example of that would be would be with uh, Rodion Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment. And this is why it's tied into Crime and Punishment. Raskolnikov realizes that there is no divine law above him and then acts out boundless tyranny. In the same way, we are acting, if we er erase that divine law above us, we then can subject ourselves to boundless tyranny through an action or, or acting our will and embodying that freedom and that lack of law in our lives. And that, of course, leads down to the problem of nihilism that he also discussed previously in Notes from Underground and in his other works. You have a lot of these nihilistic characters, and I'll be discussing them a bit later, who embody this idea of there is no divine will. We need to we need to manifest man's will to the greatest degree, which leads to tyranny, destruction and self-harm. And of course, that is tied to existentialism, where, it, where you see redemption through the fifth theme, theme that, well, you have people like Stepan Trofimovich who are redeemed at the end of the book, accept that existential solution of god and then turn towards theism so that's a very interesting dynamic we're playing it's like you have atheism you have the will which leads to despotism built on your atheism and you have theism through acceptance and redemption from your nihilism you've moved from nihilism to theism to existential solution and existential bliss and you have that arc of redemption which is one of the other themes that we're talking about you have characters embodying that redemption which is so important and of course that ties into the theme of Nastasia Filipinova in The Idiot, where, she, where Mushkin is saying, Well, beauty will save the world. And what do you mean by beauty will save the world? What he's is saying is that the redemption of Nastasia, the redemption of that broken nature in Nastasia, will be sufficient to save the world. The redemption of one will save all the rest. And that idea of redemption is tied in here as well. And finally, one of the themes here that we want to talk about is revolution. And revolution is the idea that these people, of course, uh, led by um, led by Pyotr Stepanovich, um, Shigalov and other characters are part of this revolutionary group who are trying to uphe- upturn society and lead to a new future. And and of course, there's questions about is that good? Is that helpful? Is so- socialism a good idea? Should we bring those around? And of course, with our understanding that Dostoyevsky himself was part of that revolutionary group, he's also discussing his, perhaps using his own experience to say, well, what is one such group like? What are they causing? What are the havoc that they're causing? How does that entail or how does such a revolutionary idea imply on our discussions of nihilism, of existentialism, of atheism, theism, freedom? How does that tie into it? And as a result, I think that by understanding all of these themes, we got a very good understanding of what the book is and we should view the, this book from these lens. We should have these themes in mind when we're reading the book. And now this is not to say that you cannot find other themes in the book because I do think that they exist. But it's just that we should be when you're reading the book, you should be more receptive to these ideas and saying, well, wait a sec. I think Dostoevsky is talking about freedom just to keep your eyes about to keep your eyes out for these ideas so you could understand or wrestle with the work that Dostoevsky is trying to bring out. Now, by discussing the key themes, let's finally talk about the key characters. These are the characters which are thrown into this dilemma, thrown into this plate of these themes and how they interact with them. Now, first of all, the character is Stepan Trofimovich, And when Dostoevsky was writing it, he intended for Stepan Trofimovic to be the main character however of course later then he moved it a bit on to nikolai vesvodolovich and other characters oh, i'm sorry if i butchered those names but essentially the 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 interesting thing with this book is that well the main character kind of changes throughout the book in the first part it's kind of like uh of Stepanovi- uh, Stepan. the second one is kirilov and nikolai and at the end it's also kirilov and nikolai so them so essentially the the idea changes throughout the main character changes throughout but they also embody different themes and with Stepan trofimovich what he's uh embodying i think is the redemptive arc he's the idea he's a guy who struggles with the socialism struggles with nihilism but at the end of the day accepts christ and is redeemed it has peace and it's a very beautiful theme throughout the entire story where he's going through the motions going through the different situations he's placed into different scenarios which he s- supposedly or at least is led for or we are led to believe he doesn't have much control over he's meant to be a tutor towards uh Varvara's son, but then at the same time struggles with that situation with the social dynamic. And as a result, I think it's quite similar to Dostoevsky because when we read the memoirs written about Dostoevsky, what we do see is that while Dostoevsky was someone who was really awkward, he was someone who went to a party and would sit at the side of the party and and when someone talks to him, he would give a long monologue then shut up and then continue sitting at the side of the party. So he was a very awkward person, this Dostoevsky, and in the same way this Stepan Trofimovich plays a similar role. He's very smart, he's very intellectual, but he's a bit quiet and he's a bit awkward socially as well. So then we have this interesting dynamic with Dostoevsky here between Stefanovich, or actually no, uh, Stepan Trofimovich and Dostoevsky. Stepanovich is Piotr, of course. Now, Varvara is the woman who's kind of like the is the money in the, it's a backdrop it's the she sets this she is almost this setting of the novel she ties everything together ties in Nikolai ties in Piotrus, ties in Stepanovich ties in Kirillov ties in Shigalev and then and then everything kind of comes in together she runs the she has the money she has the parties and, and and she just basically is the social the social glue to the story and of course to greater extent and to lesser extent depend on which relationship they are but she does bring everything together and that's a very interesting thing to see how it works now, Nikolai Vesvadolevich is a man of conflict. He shows times of care, he shows signs of love, but at the same time, he shows signs of despotism and, and a crime and sin as well. So I think with Nikolai, you see a conflict of the good and the evil is tied in together, and it's one of the situations where the man is not redeemed. He goes to the very end, and he is not redeemed at the end. And unfortunately, there's a part called Etikon, who's a priest, and he goes to the priest and talks with the priest, about a crime that he committed in the past. And then there's a very interesting thing going on here. And of course this is there's also themes of this tied into Brothers Karamazov as well. But of course what you see here is a bit is a bit separate as well. Like he commits crimes in the past and he has a guilty and a horrible past which which he struggles with with profoundly and, and in some ways that is kind of the situation of Nastasia Filipinova who she also struggled with a horrible past and a sinful and a fallen past at least as the archetype. And then she struggles with redemption, the same way Nikolai Vesvodolovich is struggling with redemption throughout the book and is and is torn between the, the revolutionary elements, the, the intellectual elements, the scientific elements against the theistic elements, and, and he's kind of like the he's kind of like the embodiment of the human dilemma or the human conflict that we are living in right now. Now, Pyotr Stepanovich is like the representation of chaos, evil, and nihilism. While Stepan T- Trofimovic is a representation of redemption, of struggle, and Nikolai is, is also conflict but taken to a next degree. Pyotr is kind of like the evil, the embodiment of the Satan, the Rogojin of this play perhaps. And while there are moments where he does seem to show some sense of care, that care is normally under or has an undertone of manipulation or undertone of revolution. And those are all the representation of the themes that Dostoevsky is writing against. So that's a very interesting thing when we're reading Stepan Trofimovich. He's like the devil. He, while he loves, he also hates. He loves because he hates. And there's a very interesting dialectic there. And I think it's a very interesting thing to see how Dostoevsky plays around with this um, Pyotr Stepanovich character. And it is just very, very insightful. Now, now the second last character that I want to talk about, the penultimate one, is this character named Kirilov. And Kirilov is just this phenomenal character who I. I love and perhaps one of the reasons why I read Demons was because of Kirilov. And while he's not perhaps the main character in the same way that Stepan Trofimovich was in part one and Nikolai Vesvodolovich was, Kirilov is a just this phenomenal, really profound player because character, because he's talking about the embodiment of the will, he's taken atheism and talks about will to the next level. And I talk more about this in the the section, the freedom, the problem of Kirilov, and you could see that series, I'll put it up in the card above. But it's just such an interesting discussion and he's, he's like the embodiment, the physical embodiment of the atheistic theories. Just as Smerdyakov is the atheistic embodiment of Ivan's theories in the Brothers Karamazov. So he's like the, the body, he's like Ivan and Smerdyakov comi- combined into one person. You have those two characters put together and you have Kirillov, who not only philosophizes about the, the theories but actually has good intentions. But he also lives out the theories and leads to self-harm and destruction and suicide. So you see these two theories just tied in together and it's just so interesting because, because you have Stepan you have Trofimovich who's like redeeming himself and Kirilov who condemns himself through his theories and you have these two characters who go just two the opposite ways and it's just so fascinating. So Kirilov is just one of my favorite characters in Demons. And of course I'll be talking about more of him in, a, in the next video when I dive deeper into him. And now, finally, I I like to talk about Shigalov. and while he's not the main character, I like to view him as a representation of Dostoevsky's critique of the revolutionary spirit. Although he is a revolutionary himself, he fundamentally says the theme about freedom and tyranny, saying, with boundless freedom comes boundless tyranny, and what exactly does that mean? Well, that essentially means that if we give man complete control over his society, and we remove from him all forms of structure, also known as socialism, you get rid of that divine order and let them do whatever they want. Without God, all things are permissible. Then what do you see is that, well, or in, in the more precise per, uh, per, uh, translation is without God, all things, there is no virtue. What you essentially see is that, well, well, man is given complete freedom. And then, well, what on earth happens? You get boundless despotism and tyranny, which we saw in the 20th century. So that's just so profound and so interesting. So I hope you kind of enjoyed this video. I know we've talked about the context. We've talked about the key themes and we've talked about the characters within it. Of course, there's more characters. Of course, there's more themes. But I hope this gives you a brief introduction into the story of demons. And perhaps it will show you why I love demons so much. And it's perhaps one of the favorite books that I talk about and I love about Dostoevsky. Like always, if you've enjoyed this content, make sure to like and subscribe. If you want to know more about this book, then let me know, let me know what characters you want me to talk about. Let me know what ideas you want me to talk about. Of course, I'll be making more introductions towards, uh, before I get into the individual character analysis, but that, but of course I'll be, you'll be able to put that into my calendar so I could put it into my kind of priority list. So after I finish all the the introductions, then I'll go directly to the stuff that you recommend me to do. Like always, thank you for watching, stay safe. I hope you've enjoyed this content. If you do and want more content like this, make sure to like and subscribe means a lot to me. Helps this channel grow. Stay safe. See you soon. God bless and goodbye. Thank you for watching my friends and I'll see you in the next one.